Hey, everybody. Welcome to the World Harvest Church Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you, inspires you, and more than anything, helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus. For more information and resources, please visit us at worldharvestusa.com. Y'all doing all right? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, Pastor Shar and Pastor Abby and uh, Sarah and Janae and Amy are watching right now all the way out in California. So just say hi to them really quick. Hello. Hello. We miss you guys. We love y'all. Uh, we know that you're having a powerful time, but uh, come home. Please. <laughs> we miss you. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so it's Pastor Appreciation Month. That's always awesome. How many know we should appreciate them outside of just one month? Probably every month, right? You know, I, I, I say a lot about what they have done for me personally, spiritually, but I haven't really shared a lot of what they've done for me just like normally, you know, I guess outside of the, the realm of faith. But they really do, they, they've done so much for my wife and I, even just recently, you know, fun fact, Pastor Bob, is a husband for sure. Okay, next. He's a father. He is a pastor. He's a teacher. He's an awesome evangelist. He is a student. He is a scholar. He's a revivalist. He's a visionary. He's a church planter. Can I get a raise? Maybe think about it. Um, <laughs> and I could keep going. But one of the things most people don't know is that he is also a dynamite mechanic. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, like if you talk to him, he will rattle off a ton of church history to you and he'll, he'll I'll, I'll, I'll be sitting with him at church meetings. You know, we just went to a conference, a couple conferences in Texas last two weeks ago. And we're sitting there and this 72 year old preacher's up there just bringing a word and it is so good. And he starts referencing Greek and Hebrew in his message. And I, I only know that stuff if I Google it. Pastor Bob's sitting there finishing the Greek word out under his breath next to me. And I'm thinking, I am just out of my league. I'm, I'm out of my, my element. Uh, but, but honestly, so I had to change my brakes and my rotors. And he insisted on, to give me some of his time off on his, literally his day off for me to come over and to show me how to do that. So now I'm a real man. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. I can change brakes and rotors. Yeah, I can push back the, uh, is it called the, the caliper? I almost said the piston, but yeah, <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a, I am a real man. I'm a real man. Um, no, but it's just, it's amazing. And Pastor Shar too, you know, anytime that I'm sick, she's the first one to call and say, hey, I'm bringing you some chicken noodle soup. It's going to be awesome. And it's so good. It's, it's awesome. Um, so anyway, just really thankful for you pastors. We love y'all uh, with all of our hearts and we're thankful for you. You're a great mechanic, and you're a great soup maker, Pastor Sharp. And uh, I wasn't joking about the raise, so if we could just... <laughs> I'm just, I, I was joking, I should say that. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't even know. I'm just... So, last Sunday, we... Uh, I spoke a little bit. How many heard the message last Sunday? Either you were here or you listened, caught up to it. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll just summarize a little bit. 
I spoke on the importance of rest. And what I had been feeling was that the body had been suffering from weariness. And maybe this isn't the case for you. In fact, some of you, you're doing great and that's awesome. But how many know sometimes weariness will sneak up on you? And the Bible says, do not become or do not grow weary in doing good for in due season, you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. But sometimes if we're gonna be honest, we do grow weary, right? We can become weary. Of course we shouldn't and we should try not to, but if we can be honest, sometimes we find ourselves there. Anybody ever arrived at that destination? <laughs> okay, if somebody looks weary next to you, just point to them. Just, okay, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But uh, you know, it's funny, before I met my wife, I was, I was single in, uh, in ministry and what I would say all the time, so we started this young adult group like, I don't know, nine years ago or something. It was just me and Caitlin Chiskowski. It was just us, super awkward. And I needed to, we needed to get this thing going. So we just, really, we worked together and we started praying for friends. We started reaching out to people and the group grew. And it was really amazing what was happening. I mean, people were, we actually met at the coffee shop in the grocery store here on Main Street. And we ended up packing that thing out so much. How many of you guys have been in Marketplace you know, when you walk in the liquor section, there's a, uh, how many of you go in the liquor section? No, okay. <laughs> no, but there's also a coffee section. I should have maybe said that. But so when you walk in there, there's a coffee section and then there's the dairy aisle. Well, anyway, we packed it out so much that there were people literally going into the ice cream aisle and we were doing icebreakers outside. It was just the craziest thing. It was really cool. And so occasionally on Monday nights and on Wednesdays, there would be a holiday and I would say out loud, hey, because people would ask me, Jake, are we going to have group tonight? And I'd say, the devil doesn't take any days off, so neither are we. It's Memorial Day. It's going down. We're, we're having group, you know. And all the single people were cool with that, you know, because we have nothing better to do than eat pizza and play video games and watch Netflix. So we'd be all for it. And so it's just funny how when I was, when I, before Abby, who made my life a million times better, I would just go and go and go and go. And it's so funny looking back on that, how I literally said to the people, you know, the devil doesn't take a day off. You remember this? You know, the devil doesn't take a day off, so neither will we. But how many know we're not disciples of the devil? <laughs> we're not following him. We're following God. And God did take a day off. Say amen. God took a day off. So how many know if he did, how much more should we? God in his infinite strength and his unlimited capacity decided to model what it means to rest. And then he said, okay, good. This was actually pretty sweet. You guys do it. And then he grafted it into the 10 commandments, you know? So obviously it's, it's important. And in fact, Jesus said that the Sabbath was not, man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was, was made for, for man. So anyway, I think rest is really, really important. And if you're here tonight, or if you're watching online, if you're in California, um, <laughs> just kidding. No, but if, you, uh, if you've been struggling with weariness, if you're tired, if you find that, you know, remember when Jesus was in the garden and he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak? Do you remember that? Sometimes that's the case, you know, the spirit's super willing, like all the time, like, let's go, you know, let's keep, let's keep doing stuff. But then your flesh will say, bro, chill, like, I need, I need a nap right? We are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. And as Jake Bradway was alluding to uh, a week ago today, we need to take care of all three. 
Say amen. amen. We need to take care of all three. So I just want to encourage you. If you're weary, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Jesus says, come to me, all who are burdened, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So go to Jesus and also schedule the Sabbath. I know it doesn't sound super spiritual, but you can't get more spiritual than the Ten Commandments, you know? So, yeah, nobody wants to shout down the Sabbath, I guess, you know? Take a day off. No, I refuse. I will not take a day off. I used to think it was holy to work all the time. You know, I used to think it was weak to take time off. But again, Jesus is our template. Amen? Okay, so anyway, that's just a commercial. If you want to go check out that message, I think it'll bless you. Especially if you've been dealing with weariness, I want to encourage you to do that. And even if you're not, maybe check it out anyway, or at least meditate on what I just shared with you, so that way you don't get to that point. Sound good? All right, do you have your Bibles? Oh, go ahead and grab them. Go ahead and grab them. Some of y'all are grabbing your iPhone. That's cool. If you have an Android, forget about it, all right? Grab your Bible and take a good look at it, would you? How many know that this Bible here is more than just an awesome textbook? Although it's the greatest textbook of all time, right? How many know this right here is more than just old transcripts compiled together for us to just look at, right? The Word of God is living, and it's active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It actually discerns the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. So that's what it says in Hebrews 4.12. So when we read this Bible, how many know our Bible actually reads us? Isn't that something? So some people wonder, you know, how much should I read? And that's a good question. But I guess my suggestion to you would be read it until it reads you. That could be one sentence. It could be one parable. It could be one chapter. It could be, it could be a book. You could just go to the maps. Literally everything between these covers, I believe, is anointed DNA of Jesus. Because it says in John 1.1 that in the beginning was the, and the word was, and the word, he was in the beginning with, and the word became and dwelt. Okay. So when we read the Bible, it's actually, if you could, if you could take a DNA, has anybody ever done ancestry tests at all? Raise your hand if you have. Okay, everybody here is yours was all Norwegian except for Bobby's, <laughs> Mr. French. Um, if you were to take one of those tests from Jesus and examine the helix of his DNA under a microscope, I'm convinced that you would see Genesis 1-1. Going all the way through cover to cover to the book of Revelation. I think that's powerful, don't you? And you know, Jesus was not above temptation. Remember when he was baptized and the, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove? It wasn't an actual dove, but it was the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. And then God spoke, right? And what did he say? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. It was an awesome moment. And then where did he go right after that? Into the wilderness. What a great, <laughs> what a great post-baptism party. <laughs> Woo, I got baptized into the wilderness. And as if that's not bad enough, he also fasted for 40 days. 
And I love that the Bible includes that after the 40 days, he was hungry. <laughs> Just in case anybody didn't you know, notice or think that he would be, he was hungry. But it was in the wilderness that he faced temptation from the devil. But how did he overcome the temptation of the devil? With the word of God. It records three different instances of the enemy coming and trying to tempt Jesus. And the very first one, he said, hey, if you're the son of God, he was fasting, so he's hungry. He said, if you're the son of God, command these stones to turn into bread. Remember that? And what did Jesus say? He said, it is written. And he quotes from Deuteronomy saying, man shall not live on bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's powerful. How many know that we are what we eat? Sorry, I, can I just brief pause, checkpoint here, rest stop. Like I have like three things swirling in my heart and they're kind of related and they're kind of not. And so I'm just trying to like see which way we're gonna go. Is that okay with you? You cool if we just hang out like we're a family tonight? Is that okay? Like we just pretend like we're in the living room with our friends in California? Is that cool? That's, that's how this is gonna go, all right? Have you heard the phrase that you are what you eat? I hate that phrase. I wanna eat cookies and then, my wife's not here so I ate a whole frozen pizza last night at nine o'clock. It's a very bad decision. <laughs> but it's true. As much as I hate it, it's true. You know, if, if I eat frozen pizza and I eat chocolate chip cookies, which I love, or salsa from Casa Mexicana, my goodness. If I eat, yeah, it's at least, I think, never mind. <laughs> if I eat those things, I'm going to take on the characteristic of those things, right? So if I, if I eat donuts all the time, I'm going to take on the characteristics of donuts. If I eat broccoli... I'm gonna take on the characteristics of broccoli. You know, my body's gonna absorb those nutrients and I'm gonna bear the consequences of whatever it is that I eat. Can I get an amen from the nutritionist? Yes, amen. <laughs> it's the exact same thing spiritually. Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Likewise, whatever we are eating spiritually, we are going to take on the characteristics of those things. So if I'm watching the news all the time, I'm going to take on the characteristics of the news. If I am binging Netflix regularly, now I'm not making the news, uh, you know, the enemy. I'm not saying Netflix is the enemy. I'm just saying whatever I eat of, in this case, let's say Netflix, I'm going to take on the characteristics of whatever it is that I'm watching on Netflix. Are you with me? If I'm playing video games, I'm going to take on that. If I'm binging social media and I'm just dwelling on that, then I'm going to take on those. You could even get into sin, right? If I'm binging sin, then I'm going to take on the consequences and, of, uh, and the characteristics of what sin brings. It's just how it works, you know? But likewise, if I feed on the word of God, then I'm going to take on those characteristics. If I feed on messages that are uplifting, I'm going to take on those characteristics. If I feed on the word of God, I'm gonna take on these characteristics. I'm gonna start bearing the fruits of the spirit, right? I know this, this probably isn't super profound, but to me, I remember when this first clicked in my heart and I thought, whoa, I gotta be careful what I'm eating. Because how many know if we're not careful, we can find ourselves eating from the wrong sources. And it's funny because if you look at food, for example, some people cannot eat peanuts. 
They are intolerant to peanuts, and I pray for you. I don't know how you, I don't know how you do it. Is there anybody here peanut have a peanut allergy? Okay, good. We're going to have a prayer service here, but we're we're good. But but certain people can't eat certain things, right? And I think it's the same thing. I'm just throwing this out there. I think it's the same thing with our faith. Like there are some things that we as Christians we just can't eat. We are intolerant to. Okay. Like pornography. <laughs> Let's just say it's one that's really obvious. We are intolerant to that. That does not, we, our body will, our spirit, our faith will reject that. Are you with me? And I think, again, if I can stretch out this, this parable a little bit more, I think that, you know, some, some people, is this okay? You're like, this is so elementary. Can we get to the good stuff, you know? Um, so some people decide that they are just going to live a healthy lifestyle with food, you know, where they, we were, again, we were down in Texas and the man who preached Charles Neiman, I think the name was, he was 72 or 76, somewhere, somewhere in there, but that guy looked good. Now don't ask me why I, why that stood out to me, but when we were walking, we wanted to go say thank you to him. And so as we're walking up, I noticed that he had taken off his suit jacket and man, his sleeves were tight. I'm like, man, this dude is, he's got it going on, you know? So we get up there and we're talking to him. He's a really, really great guy. And I said, okay, what's your secret, man? He said, what do you mean? I said, you look great and you're 70 something. You look better than me, I'm 30. Can you just tell me your secret, please? And he said, uh, I lift weights and I eat a Mediterranean diet and I don't cheat. I thought, okay, got it, Mediterranean. I'm mean, gonna spell that, you know? He's like, well, I eat fish and whatever. He commits himself to eating healthy on a constant basis. And some people are really, really great at that, you know? And they reap the benefits of that, you know? They, in fact, they eat healthy all the time so much that they actually, not, they don't even crave sweets. They get to the point where cake doesn't even sound good to them. Donuts aren't even appealing. Cookies are just, no, nah, I don't even want that. Now, I don't know, I don't know how y'all do it. Uh, pray for me. But I believe, again, it can be the same thing spiritually. You know, I think it's like what Paul said. He's like, yeah, okay, so some things or all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial, right? So, yeah, I can watch the news. Like, the news is not the devil, you know, unless it is. Um, but so I can watch it, but I need to watch it in appropriate portions that are good for my faith. Just like I can't, only eat cookies for dinner. Well, I can't only watch the news. I can't just only, is this too simple? I'm sorry. I feel like I'm boring you. We can move on. But I'm just, I just want to encourage you tonight that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every single word. And you know, it's funny, if you look in Ephesians 6, let's just turn there since you have your Bible and you've been staring at it this whole time. Ephesians 6. The Apostle Paul starts to talk about the armor of God. <clears throat> Some of you guys are feeling bad about what you're eating tonight. Don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. Ah, 
I know. I know. I didn't mention popcorn. We're going to have Brittany come up at the end, and she's going to give us all the, the do's and don'ts of nutrition. All right? It's going to be great. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Let's just read through this. This is wonderful. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. How many know it's his might, not yours? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. How many know there is a devil? Anybody who says otherwise, um, turn around and, and, and walk away as you pray for them. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So I mean, there really is a fight, right? There really is a fight. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Say word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Can we just pray really quick? Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, we as a body thank you for your word. We are so thankful to have this sword of the spirit at our disposal in so many different languages, in audio forms, and in so many, all across the world, people have access to this word. And we are so thankful that of all of the, all of the communist nations throughout history that have tried to eradicate your word, they failed. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is powerful. And I pray tonight, that your word would penetrate to our hearts and separate our souls from our spirits. That you would read us tonight as we read your word and that we would leave here equipped and strengthened in the power of your might. So Lord, we love you and we thank you for it. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. What's fascinating here, and I just want to touch on this really quick. This was not at all where I was planning to go, but it was one of the little things swimming around in my heart. But which of all of these pieces of armor, first let me ask you this, are we in a fight, yes or no? Yes. Okay. Out of all of these pieces of armor, which is the offensive weapon? The sword. It's the sword of the spirit, which is the what? You know, some theologians have said that the, the shield of faith can also be used as an offensive weapon. Like the Romans, because Paul's drawing from the Romans when he's making this illustration, that shield could be used offensively, absolutely. It sure could. But what Paul's making mention of is to use that to shield yourself from the fiery darts of the evil one, right? And so we need the shield of faith. But can I just say tonight that faith alone will not save you in the midst of temptation? I said faith alone will not save you in the midst of temptation, I tried it for years. I gave my life to Jesus when I was six years old, but I still went for years getting beat up. Beat up, beat up, beat up. 
until I finally came here when I was 21 years old and I learned how to have a relationship with Jesus. And through that relationship with Jesus and spending time with our pastors, I began to develop a deep appreciation and value and reverence, not only for the presence of Jesus, but for the word of God. And all of a sudden I started to learn, you know what? It's not enough to just say I'm a Christian. I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, we'll, we'll quote scriptures and say, oh, I'm, I'm more than a conqueror. Meanwhile, I'm getting beat up, you know? I'm the head, not the tail, but I feel like the tail, you know? We, we need... We need the shield of faith. We need the helmet of salvation. We need the breastplate of righteousness. We need the belt of truth. We need the the shoes of peace. We need all that. But we also need the sword of the spirit. If you wanna slay things that are trying to come in your life and rob you, you need the sword of the spirit, my friend. You need that weapon. And Jesus showed us how to wield it when he was in the wilderness. Every time the enemy came in chirping at him, how did he answer? With the word, it is written, it is written. It is written. So I understand. Sometimes you start reading the word and you get through the genealogies and you're like, oh, Lord, help me. I get it. I get it. But how many know if it's in there, it's in there for a reason. Say that's true. It is. It is. So I just want to encourage you tonight. If, if you've been feeling like you're getting beat up by the enemy, you're, you're not crazy you're, and you're certainly not alone and you're not broken. Paul himself conceded that we are in a fight. But I just want to encourage you, pick up your Bible and get inside it and read it. Get it deep in you. It, listen to it when you're driving, you know? The word of God can't return void. And I understand, you know, our brains have a limited capacity to retain and remember information. Trust me, I was a terrible student. It's not good. But what's beautiful is even though our minds are limited, our spirits have an infinite capacity. Did you know that? So when you read the word, it's not going to return void. It's going to go in there. And then when you find yourself in a situation where you're getting pressed, whatever is in you will come out. That's why it's so important that we fill ourselves with the word of God. We are what we eat. This is a boring subject, isn't it? (laughs) Yep. Well, I got that off my chest. Can we move to the next thing? Okay. It's just super important. We, we need the word. If we don't have the word, forget about it. And by the way, it doesn't just stop at the word. How many know we also need a relationship with Jesus? It's twofold. Remember when the Pharisees were, were coming at Jesus and they were chirping at him and then Jesus challenged them because they understood the word, they knew the word, but yet they were missing him completely. You know, isn't it, isn't it fascinating that atheists, mo- there are atheists who know the Bible better than most Christians, yet their life is not changed. You ever think about that? There are atheists and Buddhists and Muslims who can quote the Bible better than most Christians, yet their lives don't reflect Jesus at all. Why is that? Because they need a relationship with the word, right? We need, we need them both. Say we need them both. Now, I've, I've just, in my heart, I've been for the last, we are almost, we're in October. Oh my goodness, we are in October. So 
since about January, I have been thinking, no, February, I've been thinking so much about the Jesus People movement. Um, how many are familiar with the Jesus People movement? Do you know what year that started? I'm asking you a lot of questions tonight. It's like 1968, I think. You know, the 60s were crazy. They were crazy. And by the way, I've been thinking about the Jesus People movement because I'm looking at our current complexion of our nation and I'm just so hungry to see a move of God. I'm so hungry to see revival sweep through our nation from the Midwest to the coasts. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm craving that deeply. And I've been thinking about the Jesus People movement as a template for where we are today because here's, here's, what, I'm, here's what I'm getting at. In the 60s, the culture was absolutely awry. You remember the 60s, bro? Yeah. <laughs> in 1962, I, I'll try to remember some stuff. I'm not a history buff by any means. Pastor Bob could come up here and rattle it all off, and you can help me if I forget something. But in 1962, there was a Supreme Court ruling that um, took out government-sponsored, or excuse me, school-sponsored prayer so the schools no longer had prayer as an integral part of its, of its um, schedule or curriculum or however that worked. So they removed prayer from the schools in 1962 by ruling of the Supreme Court. Also in the 60s was the Civil Rights Movement, right? Also in the 60s was uh, JFK was assassinated. Martin Luther King was assassinated. Um, what was that? Bobby Kennedy was assassinated in the 60s? 68, no kidding. Um, what else happened in the 60s? What else? What's that? We landed on the moon? Oh, that's awesome. Woodstock, the Vietnam War. Oh, it began. The Cuban Missile Crisis began. There was nuclear threats like crazy in the 60s. Remember? I don't. <laughs> What's that? LSD. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Abortion became legalized in two states. I think it was Colorado and California. There were was, there was so many things that were happening in the 60s. And then even going into the 70s, obviously, the sexual revolution began. began. Remember that? There were so many things. Literally, I'm just saying, in the 60s and in the early 70s there, there was this, it was like a modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah in a lot of ways. Can I just be honest? It, it, just, it was crazy. America had been such a God-fearing nation from the beginning all the way through. But then all of a sudden in the 60s, man, and, and before that too, but things kind of began to turn around that time. In fact, in 1966, I have a picture for you that uh, the Time magazine had this cover on it. Is God dead? Because so much was happening. Faith was beginning to wane slowly and slowly and slowly. And then all of a sudden, 60s became rapid. So they, they post this magazine, Is God Dead? The 60s was a dark time other than the moon. You know, why, you know why it was really dark? You know the worst thing of all the things that I just said? The Chiefs lost to the Packers in the first Super Bowl. It's terrible. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, man. Kidding. That's obviously not the worst thing at all. It was just a joke. It's just a joke. But it, it was, it's, it's still, yeah, it hurts. So um, being a Chiefs fan in Packer country is tough sometimes. It's tough. But the 60s, it was rough. The early 70s, it was rough. And so much so that 
they put something as bold as, is God dead on the cover of Time magazine? But here's what's fascinating. God was staring at America in the midst of all of this chaos and mess. By the way, do you see any parallels with the 60s and the 2022s? <laughs> you see some similarities? Should we go through all of them or can we, are we good? Okay. There's a lot of similarities. But here's what's interesting. Back at this time, in 1968, literally two years after this magazine cover is published, all of a sudden, God's looking at the heart of America and he's looking at this hippie movement that's evolving, people wearing parachute pants <laughs> with their long hair, which was culturally crazy for guys, right? People that looked different, that believed different, they had different lifestyles, different worldviews, all that. In fact, people that if they walked into the church, people at that time would have been really uncomfortable. In fact, many people kicked them out of their churches because they didn't look the part. So God looks down and he looks at these hippies and what does he think? He thinks this, oh, that's, that's a perfect spot to start revival. So what happened? And I, I think this name of the city is like Costa Mesa or something like that. It's a smaller, what was it? Whatever you just said, that place. It's, it's like southwest of LA, I believe. And at the time in the 60s, the, the 1960 census has the population recorded at roughly, I think it's like 37,000 people, okay? In 1960, the census. Am I boring you? I know this isn't, okay. They, in 1968, I don't remember the name. You probably do, Pastor Bob, because you're an encyclopedia and it just is insane. The guy that started the first home group for the Jesus People movement, I don't remember his name, but he started in a house in 1968 in Costa Mesa. He started a house movement or a house there or a house meeting. And all of a sudden, it, <laughs> sorry. And all of these hippies started coming and God started touching hearts. People who came in struggling with homosexuality couldn't get free. Jesus shows up, touches them, and they get set free right then and there. People who were strung out on LSD, who were struggling with and other drugs for that matter, he touches them and all of a sudden they're set free. Person after person after person after person, they're getting touched and set free. And now it begins to expand and they go from house to house. Sounds like World Harvest Church. They're going from house to house and it starts to spread and starts to spread. And can we put up a couple of pictures of, of this? All of a sudden, the complexion of the nation begins to shift gradually. If we could lower the lights a little bit so we can get good looks at these. I think these were taken from an iPhone. <laughs> Definitely not an Android. I know that. Let's go to the next one. People just gathering at the altar and not only at the altars giving their lives to Jesus, but people start taking the streets. See, the people, when you get radically touched by Jesus, you can't keep him a secret and you can't be quiet. Can I tell you something tonight? Listen to me very carefully. The only thing standing in between revival and America is a silent church. That's the only thing. Look at these people. They're like, try Jesus. Jesus is love one way. It's his way. Let's see another one. They're taken to the streets. They're taken to the altar. This is a famous spot out in California. All of these people are there getting baptized. 
recent converts giving their life to Jesus and they just want to get baptized. Let's see another one. I like that. Do you like that? Do you want to see that in our state again? I know you do. I do too. Look at that. Do you see how many people are there? From Woodstock (laughs) to this. Isn't that something? How many know if God did it once, he can do it again? But how many know he's already done everything he needs to do? The church needs to step up. Do we have any more or is that the last one? We have another one? Look at that. Look at that. That's the full stadium. I think that's the Coliseum in LA. Yeah. Look at that. Isn't that powerful? Now, here's, what's, here's my favorite part, okay? So in the 60s and in the 70s, it's all, it's all bad. It's all, you can keep the lights down for just a moment. It's, it's all bad. It's all looking terrible. But then all of a sudden, Jesus starts working through one willing vessel to welcome some people that look different than him, that believe different than him, that had political beliefs that were opposite of his and that were maybe doing things that they shouldn't do. Tax collectors and sinners, shall we say. Gathers them into his house. Says, sit down, I'm gonna share the good news with you. They worship he preaches the gospel, starts radically, God starts radically transforming people's lives. He starts making disciples. People are getting baptized. And then now there's leaders coming up and they start going and they're going to new houses. And then all of a sudden, literally from the West Coast, this movement swept through the nation, as you saw. It hit Wisconsin and it went all the way out to the East Coast. There are people in this church, our pastor went to some of those Jesus people meetings in Minneapolis. How many of you ever, did anybody here else go to a Jesus people movement meeting at all? Hey, we got, we got a few. We got a few. Awesome. Isn't that something? Y'all, y'all tasted that move of God. And last I checked, I read in my Bible, it says Jesus is the same yesterday, Amen. today, Amen. and forever. And his intentions for the nation did not change from the 60s to the 2022s. It did not change. He still longs to see his masterpieces come back home. He longs for that. So, this begins to take place through the nation. And watch this. This is so amazing. In 1971, five years after Time Magazine posted um, an, the, the, the cover of their magazine, Is God Dead? In 1971, they post this one. The Jesus Revolution. I don't know about you, but that gets me jacked up because it's one thing to be excited about Jesus in the church. It's one thing to make a Facebook post about Jesus on my wall. It's one thing to do all that stuff. But when, when people who don't know God start to take notice of the move of God, then we're starting to see something. We're starting to see something. And I'm telling you what, God has not given up on America. He's not. His heart has not changed. He's not bipolar. Are you with me? Turn with, grab your Bible again. Let's go to Matthew. I just want to check out one verse and we'll get out of here. The only thing standing in between revival and America, how many of you here, you want to see revival in the United States of America? You want to see people come to Jesus, repent of their sin, experience life transformation, deliverance and healing. Raise your hand if you do. Okay. You're not, I'm not asking you to raise your hand to me. Literally, just raise your hand one more time. Come on. That's awesome. Now check it out. Check it out. The only thing standing in between our hope and faith for that manifestation is us opening our mouths. That's it. 
And I just want to dive into this. This is Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Sorry, I'm not like, I'm not. (laughs) You know what doesn't impress me anymore? Oh, I shouldn't say anything. Matthew chapter 9, are you there? Okay. You know, I think, I think the church, not this church, thank God, but the American church has given a false gospel to America for too long. And we, we've pretended like a fog machine and a light show and a cool message that can help you, you know, accomplish all that's in your heart, make you feel real good, and you don't have to make any real changes, just come on and feel real comfortable. Meanwhile, we're making sure that God doesn't feel comfortable in our churches. And then, and then so we're, we're building church that way, not us, thank God. But unfortunately, this has certainly been a trend, not just in America, but beyond. And then we wonder why Christianity is beginning to look feeble in some, plot, in some pockets. We need the authentic gospel. We don't need somebody who just has charisma. We need somebody with, a, with character. We, we don't just need a good message. We need the, the presence of God, you know? <laughs> And I'm just not interested in hearing some preacher who's really, um, I don't know, charismatic and bubbly, but he's just giving me sugar. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I, need, I need meat and potatoes, man. And I'm so thankful that we sit in a church where we hear things that, you know, sometimes we don't leave here with our ears tickled, but guess what? That's a good thing because we leave with our spirit charged up. And I'd rather have that any day of the week. So I'm sorry if I'm not coming across as the most polished, fancy schmancy with all the cool <laughs> stuff. I'm just trying to give you a word. I'm just trying to give you the truth. I'm just trying to give you what the word of God says. Does that sound okay to you? I know it does. Matthew 9, watch this. This is verse 9. It says, "As by the way, this is going to speak to two different people tonight. If you've been far from God, you're here tonight on purpose. And this is going to speak to you. If you're on fire for Jesus, or maybe that fire has grown dull a little bit, well, this is for you too. And you'll see what I mean. Watch this. Matthew 9, verse 9. It says, as Jesus passed on from there. How many know he was going somewhere? He was going somewhere. He was doing something. He had an objective in mind. I don't know if it was the grocery store, if it was, you know, the fish market. I don't know where he was going. He was going somewhere. He was in Capernaum. He's leaving. Going somewhere. Probably quick trip. (laughs) You know, we have real quick trips in Kansas City. They spell it with a Q. It's the real quick trip. (sighs) Don't say that in Wisconsin, Jake. You're not even, anyway. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him. Now, here's what Matthew doesn't include here in his account. See, in all three synoptic gospels, there is an account of this scene. And in Mark and in Luke, they refer to Matthew as Levi, which is interesting because back then there would be multiple names, you know, like, and, and not only that, but God would actually change people's names. Jesus did that with Simon. Remember, he changed Simon too. He changed Saul too. In the Old Testament, he changed Israel or Jacob into, <laughs> right, from Abram into, yeah, I'm sure there are others. But y'all are showing off. Stop it. Stop it. 
flexing too hard now. No, I'm just kidding. But it's interesting that that's the case. And so what ended up happening was Jesus reached out to this man. And by the way, tax collectors were despised. If you didn't know, tax collectors were not liked because they were pawns of the Roman government to, to collect taxes. And um, even like for, for Matthew, many people believe he was like a customs agent because he was right by the sea. And so people would be coming in and to get in, they had to pay him a fee to get in. Anyway, so tax collectors were oftentimes viewed as traitors to the Jewish people. As Pastor Bob actually taught Sunday night down in um, Lake Halley there, you know, they were even thugs. They were, they were bad news. Jewish people did not like them because they would actually increase. Taxes were already high, established by Rome, but these tax collectors would, would add another percentage to those taxes for their own benefit, ripping off their own people. And they, it was already unbearable, you know? Now, just do me a favor and think for a moment to yourself. We talked about the 60s and we talked about the hippies and all that and how they were like the least likely people group that God would use to ignite a revival in. Would you agree? You know, we always expect revival to happen in here in the walls. And sometimes that does happen. We've seen it throughout history and it's a beautiful thing. But other times God will look at a people group that the church has neglected and say, I'll use them, you know? And Jesus is embodying that right now with a tax collector. He walks by a tax collector and he says, oh, perfect, follow me. Has anybody watched The Chosen? Okay, it's a great, great example. Go watch it, it's really good. Um, but the other, the other disciples were probably not thrilled that they just added a uh, tax collector to their squad, not pumped. Now, just think to yourself, who in today's culture is close to that sphere, that demographic of people. Don't, don't say out loud, just think to yourself, you know, and don't be thinking about Chiefs fans or any of that. Be thinking, you know, like who are people today that the church would be uncomfortable with if they came in? Who would it be hard for you or for another Christian, not this church, this church is incredible, man. Oh my gosh. Is that, a, is that the uh, Amber Alert? <laughs> All right. Thank you, Apple. <laughs> uh, so, uh, oh, Android too, that's good for them. <laughs> if you have an Android, we'll pray for you afterwards. <laughs> what was I saying? Help me out, somebody. Yeah, 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 yeah. Picture, picture the most, like, Exactly. Who, who would the church least likely expect for Jesus to pick is what I'm saying. Think to yourself about that. Let's keep going. Now what happened is Jesus sat at the table. That's what I was going to say. Sorry. Jesus is sitting down at Matthew's house with a bunch of other tax collectors and so-called sinners. So he's at his house. It was already bad because he called them. Now he's chilling with them, eating dinner. And a table is a place of intimacy. And it certainly was in Jewish culture. Like to sit around a table with somebody was, hey, I want to know you. I want to get in your life. I want to hear your story. I want to do life with you. I want to exchange hearts with you. So this is a big deal. So it says in verse 11, and when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
Pretty good question because at that time it was unheard of. But it's interesting they didn't ask Jesus. <laughs> they asked the disciples, you scaredy cats. But I love Jesus. He's like, guys, I got it. Sit down. And he says in verse 12, when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. And he quotes from Hosea 6, 6, saying, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, the church, typically on a political scale, we lean conservative and for good reason today more than ever. Sorry, but it's just, it's just true. There are more biblical values right now on the conservative side of that spectrum. But if somebody were to walk in the doors of this church building or in the doors of your small group who align with a far left ideology, lifestyle, or worldview, how many know Jesus loves them just as much as they love the most conservative person on the planet? If you can show me one person that Jesus didn't die for, then you don't have to love or reach out to them. But how many people are there like that? I'll tell you, there's only one person, there's only one type of person that Jesus can't save. And it's a perfect one. <laughs> In Hosea 6, 6, where it says this, he's, he's, how many know Jesus knew the Bible? <laughs> Again, it's important to have this inside of you. He had an advantage because he was the word, you know, just cheat coding it up right here. But how I many know he had to study too? As a boy, he was in the synagogue learning and asking questions and giving answers because he was a baller, right? So in Hosea 6, 6, where it says this, that word mercy, actually, you know what it means in the Hebrew? Pastor Bob, don't finish it in Hebrew, okay? Don't show off. It means goodness. Isn't that something? It means goodness. I like that. Because in Romans chapter two, I believe it's verse four, it says that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So here Jesus is confronting the religious people of the day who couldn't imagine that God would pick some of the worst people of the worst in their eyes to build his kingdom in, much less just sit at a table with. But Jesus corrects them and he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. I desire goodness more than sacrifice. I think that's really powerful. So I just want to say tonight, I don't, know, I don't know where you're coming from. Maybe you're here and you have been feeling almost like a math. Udita, can I get your help, ma'am? Actually, can we lower the lights too? If you could close your eyes for a moment, please. I just want to talk to your soul tonight. There's, there's one of two different, there's two different groups here tonight. The first group that I want to talk to are those who would say, yeah, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus with all my heart. And I just want to encourage you tonight that you are the anointed and chosen and appointed evangelist to reach those you are doing life with today. You are the one to reach your neighbor, not anybody else. You are the one to reach your coworker. You are the one 
to reach the people that are in your family, your closest friends, the people that you know in the community by name. And you call it, you know, maybe you don't have a super close relationship, but you're really solid acquaintances. You are the chosen person of God to reach that person with the gospel. If not you, then who? If not you, then who? I'm just going to read this over you with your eyes closed. This is Romans 10. I'm talking to all those who belong to Jesus tonight. It says in Romans chapter 10, in verse 8, it says, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. It says whoever there. That's a very wide spectrum. The invitation is open to everyone, including your coworker, your family member, your friends, everybody in your neighborhood that lives on your street, whether they have a BLM sign in their yard, a Back the Blues sign in their yard, a Joe Biden bumper sticker, a Donald Trump bumper sticker, a gay flag on their car, whatever. This says right here, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then it says in verse 14, listen carefully here, church. Please listen to this carefully. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? My friend, you are a preacher. You say, I'm not a Bible scholar. I don't don't know. I'm not an extrovert. I'm not charismatic. I don't, I can't quote a lot of the, no, you're a preacher. You're the chosen preacher of God in your school. You're the chosen preacher of God in your business. And I just want to encourage you tonight that God wants to recommission you into your people group and to be unashamed of the gospel, to sit down at a table with somebody and hear their story, even if they believe something different than you, even if they have a different worldview and lifestyle than you. You're not going to get, you're not going to lose anything by loving somebody. Just listen to them. And just by listening doesn't mean that you're approving of their lifestyle. The second person I want to talk to tonight is the person who would identify with Matthew. Who you feel like you've been an inconvenience to the world around you. You feel like nobody truly loves you unconditionally. Conditionally, You feel like you have to earn people's love and then once you get it you feel like you have to fight to keep it and it's just a fragile thing that might you might just lose you've had to perform your entire life and you've just been getting beat up if you were to look and be honest over the course of your life it's just like you've just you've just been losing and losing and losing and losing and losing and you're longing for belonging you're longing for unconditional love and although you've been looking for it in a ton of different places you've just yet 
to find it. Well, I've got good news for you tonight, whether you're here in person or whether you're watching online, tonight's your night. You have found it. And it's the person that is Jesus Christ. Although he was crucified 2,000 years ago, he did rise three days later. He came out of the grave and he lives today. And he gave his life for you. And you say, yeah, but I'm too, I'm too dirty. I'm not clean. You don't know. I've done a lot of bad stuff. Guess what? His blood is powerful enough to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, of every sin. And just to help you out even more, the Bible says that there's no unrighteous. No, not even one. So guess what? You're in really good company. <laughs> There's nobody perfect in this room. There's nobody perfect on the planet. There's nobody perfect in heaven or in hell except for Jesus Christ, God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And there's hope for you tonight. Would you stand with me, everyone, please? Keep your eyes closed. <clears throat> the first thing I wanna do is I wanna ask you tonight, if that's you with every single eye, closed with every head bowed out of respect to one another. I just want to ask you if you're here tonight and you identify with Matthew and what I just said, and you want to give your life to Jesus, you're done trying to find life in all the wrong places. You've been looking for the right thing, just in the wrong spots. If you're tired of doing that and you want to give your life completely to Jesus tonight, he's here with open arms. His pierced hands are waiting to embrace you. He loves you. And so do we. So if you're here tonight and that's you, I just wanna invite you with every eye closed to raise your hand right now all around this place, if that's you. Awesome, I see that hand. I see those hands. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, the Bible says that when one sinner repents, when one sinner comes home, by the way, we are all sinners, okay? Every single one of us. When one sinner repents and comes home, it says, Jesus says that all of heaven throws a party. Heaven gets excited about two things. We see it in scripture. They get excited about the presence of God and they get excited about you raising your hand and giving your life to Jesus. You might not see it. You might not hear it. You might not even feel it right now. But the good news is I promise you, heaven is erupting the very moment you raised your hand. Now, I just wanna to talk to the other people tonight. If you're here and you wanna commit yourself to sitting at the table with people, regardless of what they look like, what they think, what they believe, where they came from, where they're going, and you wanna be used of God to be the chosen evangelist, revivalist, preacher of the gospel that you know he's called you to be, which by the way, no one's exempt from this. If that's you tonight, between you and God, I just want you to raise your hand right now all around this place to God saying, Lord, here am I, send me. Yeah, God sees those hands. God sees those hands. He's writing every, every single hand down right now. Every single one. He's like, ooh, all right, let's do it. He's excited. He's excited. Let's go, man. All right, you can put your hands down. Grab somebody's hand next to you, would you? I just wanna pray for you, but before we do, I just wanna say, if you raised your hand, you gave your life to Jesus, do not leave here without talking to the person that brought you and make sure you find out where their small group is and go with them. Or if you didn't come with somebody who knows that information, come talk to me, come talk to somebody with one of these, these lanyards on because it's super important to not do life alone. 
It's not enough to raise your hand and go home and just think that everything's going to get all hunky-dory and everything. It's not. You got to do life with people. You got to do life, you, gotta, you know, an army, it's way better to go in, in numbers than to go solo. So Lord, I thank you right now for every single person in this room and every person watching online. Lord, I bless them. And Lord, I just pray that right now you would breathe on the hearts of every single soul. Those who just afresh gave you their own heart and even those who have given you their heart a long time ago. Lord, I pray right now that courage and boldness and the fire of the Holy Spirit would erupt within each person. Lord, that we would embrace that Romans 1.16, that we would truly be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that it is the power of God onto salvation. Lord, I thank you that you're gonna give every person in this room opportunities to sit at the table, whether it's a real table or whether it's standing around a break room or whether it's standing in a grocery store or standing at the mailbox or while it's shoveling snow, whatever it is. Lord, I thank you that you're gonna give your people wisdom on how to listen well and to build a bridge of love with the people that you've placed around them intentionally. And I, Lord, I thank you that on that bridge will be conversions, that they will draw people to you, God. I thank you, Lord. And I even just pray over every single heart that's connected to your people. And I pray that you would begin to till the soil of their hearts so that as your people go out and share your word, that the seeds of your word would fall on good soil and that they would produce a mighty tree that's bearing much fruit, fruit that will last. So God, I thank you for it. We thank you for it. And I bless your people. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, 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 amen. We're gonna have the ministry team come up if you would really quickly, please. Um, if you want prayer for anything at all, these people are here to pray with you, to fight with you, to stand with you in faith and want to encourage you to come up and to receive prayer. I know we already did during worship, but maybe something came to mind during the message and you thought of something and you need prayer. Well, we're here for you. We love you. God bless you. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Pastor Bob's going to bring a fire word so you won't want to miss it. We'll see you then. Give somebody a hug on your way out, would you? Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Be sure to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss any new messages. To learn more or to get connected with us, please visit us at worldharvestusa.com. God bless you all, and we'll see you next time.